it takes a lot of hands, <laughs> and this morning we didn't have that many. So if you're interested in volunteering or serving on Sundays, uh, we would um, say yes if you asked. Um, I know Ashley would most definitely say yes if you asked. I know we have a lot of folks out of town this weekend just for the holiday, and, and apparently there was a big game in Charlotte last night, which may have watched. I'm not, I'm not crying today, but you know we're all going to lick our wounds the way we do. Um, but yeah, if you would like to serve with us, we would take it. Like Sunday mornings, even though this is not who we are, it is a reflection of who we are. It's, it's one of the things that we do to, to circle the wagons and be on the same page, and it takes a lot of hands. And so if you have nothing to do on Sunday mornings at 7.30 in the morning and would like to help, we will we'll definitely put you to work. Bama would, would definitely say, hey, do this, do that. Um, and so there's just a lot of fun to be had. And uh, the kids always need qualified background-checked individuals who can teach them the gospel, and so that they can hear it on their level, and so we would be grateful for that. So if you want to do that, if you're interested, let me know, and uh, we'll sign you up. Um, we're starting the book of Mark today, and so that's exciting. Like, it, I'll, I'll go ahead and just tell you to, to kind of buckle up, prepare for a marathon, because it's, it's a bigger book, and we're going to be in it for a while, but that's okay. There's a lot in there. Uh, the book of Mark, when we talk about the Gospels and the differences of the Gospels, like I said, Mark is one of my, my favorite, one of the, it's in the top four of the Gospels for me. Um, I like it. There are four Gospels. And so when we look at them from a perspective as to how they're different, how they're similar, like when we look, read the book of Matthew, it's going to be the most Jewish or Jewish doctrinally related gospel. It's going to talk about some things of a Jewish nature because he was Jewish. Um, and then we look at Mark. I call that like the Michael Bay of the gospels because most of the, most of the miracles and physical things that Jesus did, they're going to be there. He's going to write things a little bit differently. Uh, and we'll get into that in just a second. We've got Luke, which is going to be the most universal um, with, with broad appeal to just about everybody. There's, there's something there for everyone. And then we have John, which is going to be our most theologically deep and rich gospel. Uh, but when we're looking at Mark, a couple things to know, um, written probably between 40 and 60 AD, we, there's not a great consensus as to when it was, but we do know with, with pretty good certainty that it was written by a guy named John Mark, who Peter would have called his spiritual son. Uh, we actually see that mentioned in 1 Peter. But also, he worked with Paul, he worked with Timothy. And so, this was a um, kind of a, a translator for Peter. Uh, Peter was a fisherman, he was a tradesman by nature, and so he, he was not a linguist. And so this particular guy, he most likely came from a pretty wealthy family in Jerusalem, and, and he could speak multiple languages. And at some point, he became a spiritual son to Peter, traveled with him, again, traveled with Paul and Timothy, did a lot of things with them, and so he kind of came his ghostwriter of sorts. And so it, was, uh, it wasn't to be written as Peter's gospel, it was to be written by the gospel by Mark, but heard from Peter. And so as a result of that, as a result of the way just conversational exchange happened, what we'll see in Mark, some things are not in the same order as they are in the other gospels. It's okay. It doesn't cast doubt on the other gospels and the way that things occurred. Uh, his interest apparently was not writing things in chronological order. His interest was, hey, this happened, I'm going to write about it. This happened, I'm going to write about it. So it was event-based and occurrence-based, and he wanted to get those things on paper, uh, you know, inspired by God so that they would be there, so they would be a record, so that it could be passed around to the early church for this purpose, this sole purpose, so that people could hear who Jesus was and what he did. That's it. And so as we, over the next um, several months, to be honest, uh, are walking through this book, like, like, here's the deal. For those of us who already know Jesus, here's our goal. Know Jesus better, period. For those of us who don't know Jesus, if you're here, if you're listening, here's your goal, to get to know Jesus. 
to get to know Jesus, to know him better or to get to know him at all. And, and the whole point of this book is just, man, we're, we're going to call it Mark, and we're just going to say this is the Jesus that we need, and we're going to do our best to learn about him. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Mark chapter 1. And Mark's introduction is vastly different. Again, all the Gospels are going to be slightly different in their, in their approach to writing and their approach to conveying ideas and occurrences and things. Like Mark has a very broad introduction. Uh, you're going to see in Matthew and Luke the birth and, and those stories you're going to see in John. John going ahead and launching into like a very deep theological chapter. Mark, on the other hand, he just jumps in and he just kind of starts with, with just event and occurrences and that kind of thing. And we're going to go through 15 verses today. And uh, we're just going to look at his introduction to his book today. Uh, let's pray, and then we'll, we'll jump in. God, we love you. Uh, we thank you for loving us. We thank you, God, that your word is alive uh, in the person, in the work, in the life, in the death, and in the resurrection of Jesus. But it's also something that we can hold and hide in our heart. So, yes, we may not sin against you, but so even further may that we may know you and so that we can make you known. Uh, God, over the next several months as we walk through um, this incredibly rich account of who Jesus was and what he did. Uh, God, I pray that you would use it to solidify our faith. Um, Father, I pray that you would use it to create faith, for faith comes through hearing. And so, Father, over the next few months, I pray that someone who does not know you as Savior, I pray that they would. Because, um, God, that is the point of your letter to us, so that we may know you, so that we may be known by you, and so that we can make you known. God, I pray that you would work. Um, as we look at your word today, I pray that we do it well. Do not add anything or take anything away, and most importantly, we pray that you speak. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So, starting in verse 1, chapter 1, uh, this is the gospel according to Mark. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Verse 4, John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, and all the country of Judea and all of Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey, and he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Well, Paul's there. And so while we're reading this introduction, I think there, there's several things. There's probably five testimonies that we need to hear in these first 15 verses. Because, because here's the million-dollar question that's floating around the world right now and, and will probably even float around in the life of believers at some time or another because this is natural. Like, is this Jesus whom we talk about or whom we've heard about is he real? Did he exist? Did he do the things that he said that he did? Was he really the Son of God? All of these questions, but, but at the top of that question, at the top of that pyramid that filters down to other questions, the question is, is Jesus real? And so we realize there's a faith quotient that is involved in this. There's a belief that's involved in this. There's a supernatural exchange, God's Spirit working in this to bring us about to faith and belief. But in this introduction, there are going to be five testimonies that we can see that are going to do their best to answer that question and to attest to not only the reality and the validity of Jesus, but the necessity of Jesus. And we see two in the very openings here before we even get to uh, the end of verse 8. 
The first, it says this, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, verse 1, as it is written in Isaiah or the prophets, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. The first testimony that we will see of Jesus before we even go any further is from the prophets who dated 700 plus years previous to this. 700 plus years. Isaiah, when, when we're seeing Isaiah talking about the Savior, and he's not naming him by names, but he is listing out the things that occurred in the life of Jesus 740, 750 years before they occurred, talking about his birth, talking about his death, talking about John the Baptist and the way that he would come. 700 plus years was attesting to Jesus before he even got here. It's not a coincidence, it's not an accident. That couldn't just be, oh, I'm going to throw a dart at the board so that I can talk about something that's to come. Like, that happened as a result of God testifying to them and them testifying from their mouths, being prophets or messengers of God 700 plus years previous. Before Jesus was ever even born as the only begotten son of Jesus, taking on flesh, being found in the form of man, but also God 700 plus years. We see it in, we see it in Malachi, we see it in Isaiah. I mean, they wrote things that were very specific that history will even say happened. And their, their books, their writings, they've been dated. And so even before we get into an apologetic or even being able to defend our faith, like history declares that these men wrote these things and then this thing happened 750 years later. Whether you believe he was the son of God or not, the fact remains. They talked about how he would die and he did. They talked about where and how he would be born and he was doesn't just happen. In literature, like literature is written, it's been written since man could speak. Things were written down, but to write about something with the specificity of the life, the death, and, and all of these things of someone that would come almost a century, I mean centuries later, that doesn't just happen. So before Jesus was even born, the prophets were testifying to Jesus. And then later we see also someone that the prophecies were talking about in verse 4. It says, John appeared, being John the Baptist, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all of Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel hair and wore a leather belt, and around his waist ate locusts and wild honey. So in other words, this guy looked crazy. Okay, that's all right. He probably was. By all accounts, people probably looked at John the Baptist and were like, hey, you're a crazy man. But people were hearing what he was saying, and repentance was occurring, baptism was occurring, to actually be symbolic of their repentance, being washed clean. And it says all the people were coming out to him in the middle of nowhere in the River Jordan, and they were being baptized and repenting, turning from their sins. The prophets had talked about him, but then his words... After uh, people looking at him saying he's crazy, verse 7, it says, And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. The New Living Translation, I sometimes go to it just for a little bit of clarity and plain speech. And it's neat the way they actually put this because they put it in terms of John the Baptist saying, I'm not even worthy to be the slave that unties his sandals. Kind of an idea. And then he continues, and he says in verse 8, I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist, who had yet to meet this Jesus, who had only been, uh, it had been revealed to him by the work of God in him, by the work of God in his mother, by the work of God in his cousin or second cousin, however we want to view that in the book, you know, in the person of Mary, like he even knew 
who was to come. And not only did he know who was to come, but he knew who was to come and actually who he was because he made this statement. Hey, people are coming out to me. They're they're repenting based on the message that I speak. They're being baptized based on the message that's been given to me. But this one who's coming after me, this one who's coming later, who's greater than me, I'm not even worthy to be a slave that takes his shoes off. So not only did he know that he was coming, he knew who he was. And then he made a very clear indicative statement about the divinity and the nature of this person who was coming, who was better, who was greater, who was beyond. He says, I baptize you with water, which is very much symbolic. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit, which is going to be more than symbolic. It's going to be life that you need. So he even recognized that this Jesus, he wasn't just good. He wasn't just wise. He wasn't just a prophet, as many people would equate him to. He was, in fact, God. So the prophets attested. John the Baptist attested. And then after that, it says, In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately... It's one of the most recurring words in the book of Mark, by the way. We'll talk about that a lot. And immediately he saw the heavens being torn open or ripped apart and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven and said, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. So now... Just to catch us up, like, again, Mark's going to write very event-driven, very occurrence-driven, broad terms in some places, detailed terms in other places. But here, he's starting at the very beginning. He said the prophets said that he was coming 700-plus years previous. Uh, They also talked about John. And when John got here, he said, he's coming. Uh, I know who he is. He's not. He's completely out of the ordinary. He's other than. He's better than. I'm completely unworthy to untie his sandals, even as a slave. And then, if that's not enough... Like the voice of God comes from the sky and says, this is mine. This is my son. And he says something truly amazing in this place because we think about Jesus in the terms of what he said and in what he did and that making him worthy to follow. But he even said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. It's interesting that he says, in whom I am well pleased or with him I'm perfectly pleased before Jesus did a thing. Now, as far as chronologically, this lines up because Jesus hadn't healed anyone yet. He hadn't began to teach other than when he was like 12 in the temple. But, you know, in the grand scheme of all the things that Jesus would have done, he really hadn't done much. Yet God opens the heavens, opens the sky, tears them apart as only God can, and he says, this is my boy. I'm perfectly proud of him. So not only did the prophets attest, not only did John attest, but in this place, in this time, in this space, the voice of God the Father said, yeah, this is him. This is him. Perfectly pleased. Completely pleased. Like, we, we don't get this idea of perfection a lot because it's just not, you know, we, we have some very unattainable, eyes of, unattainable ideas of perfection. But when Scripture, when it talks about being complete or the fullness or the perfection of, like, it means lacking nothing. Lacking nothing. He looked at him and he says, he lacks nothing. I am completely and utterly pleased with him. The voice of God. So now we have three prophets. We have John the Baptist, who would, we, I would actually consider the last prophet of the Old Testament before the New Testament began. And now we have God the Father, and then it continues. Again, writing very broadly is Mark. Verse 12. The Spirit immediately drove him into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by Satan, and he was with wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. 
And now not only do we have the prophets, not only do we have John, not only do we have the voice of God himself, but now we even have, believe it or not, Satan attesting to who this was. Like if we go and read the other Gospels, this was much bigger than the four lines that we see written by Mark. We see that it took place over 40 days and 40 nights. Jesus was starving, and Satan took him through three temptations. Why would he do that for someone who was insignificant? Why would he do that to someone who was just good? Why would he do that to someone who was just wise? Because, by the way, there were great wise people. Gamaliel was probably the wisest teacher of the time. Satan never led him out into the wilderness to tempt him with three great temptations. Satan never grabbed any of the rabbis and said, come with me. He didn't do that. Satan never tempted them with Scripture himself. But now, no, now by the temptations, now by the trials, we can see that even Satan knew exactly who this was. And he wanted to do anything he could to derail what was coming. Four voices. The prophets, John, God himself, and now even Satan are saying this. This is someone different. This is someone amazing. This is someone other than. This is, whew, this is someone heavy. And hidden in there, too, it says, and, and he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. There's two other people. There's two other small players here that, that we'll mention. It's not one of our big ones that we're also attesting to this being Jesus. Number one, creation. He was with the wild animals, and they didn't attack him. They didn't kill him. Remember, our dominion over creation was marred by sin. Jesus, being perfectly God, perfectly man, he's sitting out there amongst man-eaters, and he's good to go. No problem. He's fine. And then the angels were ministering to him. So now we've got like six voices attesting to this. Jesus is who we've been waiting for, is who we need, is something more than ordinary. Then in verse 14, again, broad picture, it says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God or the good news of God and saying this, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And so now in these few words, which serves as a bookend for Jesus' ministry, it started with these words, it ended with go, therefore, make disciples beautiful bookends to everything that Jesus did, but the first bookend that we see here, he just said, look, this kingdom that we've been waiting for to come to fruition, guess what? We're knocking on the door. We're there. And here's what you need to do. Repent, believe. And in this simple, like three to four word, not demand, but invitation, this simple three to four word, not demand, but invitation Jesus actually attested to who he was. So we had other voices in the form of the prophets and John the Baptist, God himself, Satan, the angels, creation, and now Jesus from his own mouth. He's attesting to who he was because he's bringing a message unlike anything that people would have seen or heard before. As a matter of fact, in the very next chapter or chapters we're going to see, they're going to look at him and they're like, man, this is, this is more than a new teaching. It's actually a teaching that's dressed in authority, that's robed with character, that's robed actually as the very person of God. It's amazing. And now Jesus is attesting to who he is with a simple message. This kingdom you've been waiting for, the Messiah that rules over it, is here. Just repent and believe. Repent and believe. I think for us, in the words of Jesus, there's there's a couple things. Like for us, we, we talk about a lot that we have complicated the mess out of this idea of the gospel. 
Because the, the Galatians did it. Man, we, we see about it in 1 John. We see about it in Peter. Uh, the books of Peter, like, they did it too. We've done it as well. But Jesus, when he talked about the gospel, it was simple. Now, they're loaded words, granted, that we probably need big whiteboards to unpack. But he just said, repent and believe. Repent and believe. Turn from, turn to, and then believe. Like, in a place called faith. Like, repent and believe. Simple, beautiful, clear, concise. As a means of being brought into the kingdom. Repent and believe. Like for us, I think the, the first application point before we even get to like the, the closing, which we'll get to in a second, like I think we need to remember the simplicity of Jesus' message and not convolute it with all of our man-made ideas, our man-made things, our, all of our diatribes and all this stuff. Just remember, when Jesus entered and he came in, he just said, repent and believe. That's it. Repent and believe. Now, he filled in those blanks over the course of, of several years. Like, he taught us what that actually meant, what repentance looked from, what we were turning from, but more importantly, what we were turning to. And he actually taught us what belief meant, too. Not just to understand a story, to be able to verbally convey a story, but to actually believe in our heart that actually leads to life change. Like, hold on to it with fervency. That's what belief looks like. He filled in those blanks. But in the simplest, most concise way, he said the gospel, the good news of God is this. The kingdom is here. You can come in. You just repent and believe. That's it. And by the simple nature of the gospel, Jesus revealed exactly who he was. Exactly who he was. More than a prophet. More than a teacher. More than wise counsel. No, this was the Jesus we needed. This was the Savior that we've been promised. And so what do we do with this? Like, what, how do we even hold this? What, what's our role in this? Well, I think uh, these testimonies, which spanned over 700 years, and they range from man to God to Satan to angels to creation to Jesus himself, like, they're huge. And I think... At the, very, at the very entry of this, the very smallest thing that we should possibly do, if we're someone who doubts who Jesus is, if we are struggling with the deity of Jesus, the, the nature of Jesus, the person with Jesus, I think if we read this and if we want to be a healthy critic, the first thing that it should do is it at least should make us think. Because healthy, man, healthy cynicism, that's okay. That's okay. If we really want to know and we really want to understand and you're struggling to get through this idea of by grace through faith and you're struggling with the idea that Jesus was God with skin on, I get it. I understand. Because that's not something that man is going to convince you of. And that's okay. I can never persuade you with all the perfect speech that I could muster that this is what you need to do. That's a work of God. But what God does use is our brains and our heart mulling over these things. Romans 10 says that faith comes through hearing and hearing the Word of God. If we're a healthy cynic, the very least that this should cause us to do is think, to ask the question. If all of these voices were testifying that this was the Christ, that this was Jesus, that this was the, the entryway into the kingdom, if this was Him, the very least it should do is make us think and make us just say, well, well maybe, let me think some more. And that's a great place to be. Like if you're sitting there, man, I applaud you. I want you to be right there. If you're in that place, like emotionally, intellectually, spiritually, if that's your place, man, that's great. That's great. We would love to fill in the blanks. We would love to help. You ask questions, we will do our best to answer. Man, we do, that, uh, we do our best to do that here on Sunday. We do it in community groups. We do it across a table over coffee or steak or whatever. 
suits your fancy. I don't care. If you need to talk and work through these things, just ask. Find me, find my wife, find Zach, find his wife, find Neil, find his wife, find your community group leader, which you'll meet soon, or there, you know, and just, just ask. Hey, I've got questions. But be a healthy cynic. Don't be an unhealthy cynic, because an unhealthy cynic is this. I don't believe this, and I'm not going to do the work to see if it's true. That does no good for anybody. That's not, if you're seeking enlightenment, that's not enlightenment. No, that's closed-door mentality. Be a healthy cynic. Hear these voices and say, well, maybe. Well, maybe. But maybe, for the rest of us, maybe it's, it's not that we are in a place and we're questioning Jesus, but maybe it's, it's kind of we're at a place that we've been following Jesus for a while and we've just become still. We've become like a boat in the middle of the water and there's no wind. So our sails are, are flat. We're not going anywhere. We're in the water, but we're not doing anything. Maybe for us, we need to hear the testimonies spanning 700 plus years, ranging from, from man dressed in camel's cloth, and he probably was by all regards crazy, but I'd love to have met him. I'm not going to eat the locust. He can keep those, but I would love to have heard it. Or maybe we need to think about the fact that God, through his infinite ways of revealing himself 700 plus years, used the voices of prophets to say this is how he would come. This is how he would live. This is how he would die. And it was exact and precise. Maybe you need to consider that at the moment of baptism, when the Spirit descended on Jesus, God opened the heavens. And he said, this is mine. My boy, completely pleased in him before he's done a thing. Maybe we need to see the fact that the adversary, the devil, wanted to destroy him before he ever started. That should say something to me. That should say something to you. Maybe we need to hear the words of Jesus again, fresh and anew, the simplicity of the gospel that declared the kingdom is waiting for your entry if you just repent and believe. And by declaring the simplicity of the gospel, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Maybe for those of us who are sitting in a boat and it is sitting still, it's not going anywhere, you need to be reminded, I need to be reminded that this was the Christ, and He is exactly who we need, and the only that we need. And we've been seeking everything else instead of Him, even though we've heard the truth and we believe the truth, we've veered off just enough to think that He's an accessory instead of everything. Maybe we need to be reminded that the voices in so much variation and so much time variation and for different motivations and reasons, they all declared that this was the Christ and we need to declare it too. We need to declare it too. Man, the beauty of Scripture, the beauty of Scripture is it can speak to us wherever we are, however we are, whenever we are. Whether we have questions, and we're not incredibly sure, it can speak to us. Whether we've had the affirmation of the Holy Spirit speaking to us and drawing us to salvation through the hearing of the Word of God by faith alone, by grace alone, by Christ alone, and, and we've been following Him for a while, it can speak to us. For those of us who are fervently following after Jesus, it can be a great reminder that we keep going. We don't stop. We don't let up. We need to become more vocal. We need to become more bold. We need to become more entrenched in the love that is Jesus can speak to any of us wherever we are, whenever we are, however we are. And I don't know where you are, but Scripture can speak to you wherever. And today, 
and over the next few months. That's what we need to do. Just strive to hear again for the first time who Jesus really is. And not only just hear who he is, but hear this. I have to have him. You have to have him. There is no hope apart from him. There is no life without him. There is no entry into the kingdom that was promised without him. We just need Jesus. We just need Jesus. God, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that no matter where we are, no matter how we are, no matter when we are, you want to speak and you desire for us to hear and you desire to do things through that hearing, God, that brings about life. You want to create faith. You want to expose us to grace and you want want us to live in it. God, thank you that Jesus didn't come spouting rules, but he came spouting the good news that turn from, turn to, and believe. And we can be in the kingdom with him. I thank you for the beauty of the gospel. I thank you for the beauty of Jesus. And God, over these next weeks and months, I pray you would ignite in some people who've never had it the desire to follow Jesus. And for those of us who already know him, God, I pray that you would kindle the flame to seek him more to know him better, to serve him uh, more diligently. And God, I pray for fruit to be evident in this family, in our city, in our homes. God, I pray that you would move, that you would create. Thank you, God, for Jesus. Thank you, God, for your word. It's the first Sunday of the month, and so we we do celebrate with first Sunday breakfast, but we also take the first Sunday and set it aside for um, communion. And so if you didn't grow up in the church, Or even if you did, communion may be a little bit strange for you, but uh, just to remind you how we do and why we do communion. And so when the Lord's Supper, as it was called, was kind of instituted, it was a way of reminding the disciples who Jesus was and what he was about to do and what he would ultimately do in the future. And he told them, every time you do this, think of me, remember me. I remember growing up in just the, the established traditional church and the table which I'll never forget, it says, do this in remembrance of me. Or when you do this, think of me, remember me. I love that old table. I'd love to get one at some point for origins and just freak people out. But I love that table because it's so true. Like when we take the bread and we take the juice, the body of Christ, the blood of Jesus, and even though it's symbolic, we remember that his blood was spilled on my behalf, his body was broken for me. Without it, remission of sins could not be possible. By grace through faith could not happen. And so we celebrate that. As a family, we celebrate that I've been bound to Jesus, and so have we. It's about the me, and it's about the we. Um, But also, it's about looking forward to the fact that Jesus fixed it then, what we could not, and ultimately, he's going to come back, and he's not just going to fix me and not going to fix we, but he's going to fix it all. And he's going to come back, he's going to take away pain, he's going to take away illness, he's going to take away fighting, all gone. That's Jesus. We celebrate that through communion, and we do it together together. We're not a bunch of individuals following after our God. No, we're a family following after Jesus together, equipped by the Holy Spirit together, on mission together, in worship together, in pursuit together. We do it together. And so, only caveats we have. Open table. Number one, uh, you're a professing follower of Jesus. You've actually called him Lord. You want him to rule your life. You want him to guide your life. You want him to, to save you today and forever. So yes, there's that. But also, we're in good standing. Scripture even talks about that there were those people who were sick and they were ill because they were taking communion in a wrong way. They had sin in their life and they weren't doing anything about it. 
So if we have sin, if we have things that are in blatant disobedience to God, before we take of the bread and the juice, we just sit where we are. And here it is, right here, the repent portion of the repent and believe. Hey, God, this is where I am. I don't want to be there anymore. Here's what I've done. I leave that. I choose you instead. Repent. And then after that, if you feel like you want to get up and and grab the bread, grab the juice, take it wherever you want, with whomever you want, you're free to do that. But today we remember Jesus. We remember the price he paid. We remember what he bought. And we remember ultimately what he's going to do. Um, Let me pray. And we will have a couple songs that if you want to take communion through, you can. And then we'll close with a scripture benediction and we'll be done for the day. God, we love you. We thank you for Jesus. Uh, We thank you for the price that he paid that we could not possibly pay. Uh, God, we thank you that through that price, what he was actually purchasing, he was, he was purchasing me. He was purchasing us. He was purchasing his bride. And so, God, thank you for that. God, today we, uh, we lay claim to the victory that he has proposed, um, and we rest in that. Uh, God, today I pray for those who are celebrating the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus and the future return of Jesus. Thank you that we get to do it as a family. I pray for those, God, who are, are dealing with sin. God, I pray that they would deal with it right now, that your spirit would convict us. If we have sin that is not dealt with, that we would deal with it. And God, when we have, we can get up and freely take uh, of the bread and the juice. I thank you for calling us to more. Uh, I thank you for calling us to yourself. And God, I thank you that through us, you're going to call more. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So at any point in the next couple of songs, if you want to get up and grab the juice and the bread and um, take it however you like, you can. If you have children who are in the kids' area and they are, are Christ followers and you want to grab them, you can and bring them out. Um, but let's worship together.